welcome to another edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. My name is Andy Warren, and on a Thursday evening, I'm joined by the by a man in the crispest of white shirts, looking slick, buttons undone, business is done, busy week, nearly done. Stuart Watson. Hello, Stuart Watson. Hello. Had to make an effort today for the new manager, didn't I? First time I've I've worked from home with a shirt on, but <laughs> I came downstairs this morning and my wife said, where are you off to? Elements. That's the nightclub that we used to go to in Bournemouth back in the day. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd make, a, make an effort. It's not every day you get a new manager being unveiled. You're looking good. What, what was Elements like? What's going, what's going down in Elements? Um, sticky, sticky floors. Um, Standard. Go and go and withdraw your twenty quid from the uh, from the cash machine to get you through the entirety of a of a night having got tanked up at, at home beforehand. Standard student fare, mate. Job done. Zanzibar was my uh, was my nightclub of choice. Terrible. Give me every penny that I spent in that place back, and I'd be uh, I'd be a happier man. Um, Stewie, we've had a we've had a busy week, haven't we? We're recording this at. It's about half past seven on on Thursday. So if you hear the noise of unruly children going to bed, uh, please don't be alarmed. Everything is fine. We're in our separate houses, but our children are both in the the process of being put put to bed by their mothers while we talk football because it's been a busy week of football. We've been to Accrington, a new manager has been unveiled, and then there's a trip to Gillingham at the weekend. So we're going to jump right into some football. Um, we're going to go 300 miles north and talk about our trip to Accrington, which was memorable for Ipswich's win on the pitch, but just as just as memorable for, for what we witnessed off it, which was with Paul Cook in the stands to watch his new team win 2-1, having been appointed earlier in the day. It was a, it was a fascinating evening, wasn't it? It was. We, we talked on the way up about, is this the first time that we've had the sort of new manager watches from the stands in a behind-closed-doors scenario we wondered what what that dynamic would be like um especially in a smaller football stadium like Accrington Stanley where you're not sat up high in a, in a stand somewhere Mr Cook was sat about 10 meters to our right and we're, and we're only three or four seats back from from pitch side at Accrington opposite side to the dugouts which I think have been moved since the last time we were at Accrington so you had Matt Gill uh, and Jimmy Walker and Brian Clue kind of leading things from the dugouts on one side of the pitch and then on the halfway line. Um, director's box is pushing it. In the director's <laughs> box on the other side of the pitch at Accrington, you had Mr Cook and clearly he had started off with the full intentions of sitting on his hands and being quiet and not interfering and leading, leading Gill and Co to get on with it. And he kept to that for the first 20, 30 minutes. But as the half wore on, he couldn't help. But first, it started as a few little instructions to Miles Kenlock, who was the kind of fullback on that side of the pitch. And then second half, he just gave up, didn't he? Um, he just uh, got louder and louder to the point where come the half hour mark, he had shouted himself completely hoarse. And that showed in his press conference today, very croaky. Um so yes, the, the the cook watch was just as just as interesting as the game in some ways. I asked um, I asked someone from Accrington why the dugout had been moved, 
Um, and they said it had been moved to the other side of the pitch at the request of John Coleman, the Accrington manager, because he found that his swearing was being picked up too loudly on iFollow because the microphone was directly above where his um, technical area was. And there was a bit of that from Mr. Cook, wasn't there? So in, in terms of moving the dugouts on this occasion, it didn't it didn't keep the, uh, the match day iFollow viewing down to a PG. Was, that, uh, that was my favourite moment of the game was when um, was when Mr Cook called Mr Hughes of Accrington Stanley, who had just gone down with a, the first of a series of pretty pathetic dives from the, the Accrington players. Hughes had gone down holding his face dramatically in the box. Um, soon as play went on, he jumped straight back up to his feet. And uh, Paul, Paul called him a cheat in, let's just say, the strongest possible terms. He used the bad word. Um, and uh, <laughs> but then immediately uh, uh, turned around to everyone in the immediate vicinity. Sorry, sorry about that. Sorry, I'm not going to try and do a Liverpool accent. I just did. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But um, first person he turned to was Andy Holt, the uh, Accrington chairman. Apologised to him. Had a little look across to the press box as well. So I thought that demonstrated a man that's got some good manners but also a lot of fire in the belly and, and both those qualities and his humour was uh, really came across today in quite a lengthy first press conference. Yeah, we'll get we'll get onto his presser in a bit of detail in a minute. It was it was really interesting watching um after this podcast it will automatically run on to listen to uh, you can listen to that in full. We've got it up on, on here. So the next podcast after this will be the the full version of um of Paul's presser from earlier today. And it's probably at this point worth saying as well, we've, um, this podcast, this podcast, not the second one, this one is going to be in two halves. We're talking about Paul Cook. Now there's a second section that's going to be discussing the Marcus Evans statement, which came out on Wednesday night in some depth there and some takeover stuff as well. But before we crack on with Paul's press conference, we've got the game to talk about, Stu, which was a a come from behind 2-1 victory, keeping up some, some good form. Um, what did you What did you make of it? It, it was. It's hard to talk about this because all, all I still come away from it. The big takeaways were all about Paul Cook for me, but the the more important thing in the here and now was three more points, which puts the new manager in a really good position uh, now that he's going to be taking charge of his first game. Mm. I thought it was nervy. I thought it was anxious. I think that was a set of players that. Were, were knew that they were making first impressions on a new manager have probably had the the events of the previous few days are starting to swirl around in their minds a little bit. The, the takeover report on Friday, um, Paul Lambert saying goodbye to them after the game on Saturday, effectively that news then breaking Sunday, then Paul Cook coming to their hotel on the day of the game. So there was a lot of things that I'm sure was in their minds going into that one, as Matt Gill rightly pointed out post-match. So, just to get the job done, however it took, I think, showed a lot of character. Um, but they made hard work of it. There's no doubt about that. They went behind early on. Atkinson played a sort of a diamond system. We know they're very physical side, big big defenders. They've got big Colby Bishop up front who caused them problems last year. And they, they started quicker. They took the lead after four minutes. Um, then Ipswich get a slice of luck with, with the red card, which is... A controversial one. I have to admit, I haven't watched it back since, but there's obviously a debate to be raged there about double jeopardy and did, mm. does he make a genuine attempt to play the ball? No doubt it's a penalty, but whether it's a red, I'm it's not been sure. Resi- 
been rescinded today. Has it? So, okay. uh, so <laughs> punished on the night, but he uh, not not punished going forwards. But ultimately, actually, not punished on the night, which I'm sure you were coming on to say before I interrupted you to no. break the big news. There you go. Well, so there you go. So it clearly was a controversial one because it's been rescinded, and uh, Norwood rather fluffs the penalty. Uh, the penalty. Um, and then Ipswich did get on top after that. They had tons of chances during a sort of a furious 10, 15 minute spell. And, and then Norwood is twice denied by good saves, but ones that perhaps the goalkeeper shouldn't have been allowed to, to save. Um, and you're starting to wonder whether it could be one of those nights, a very cold night up, up in Accrington. Um, but they got the goals and they got them via set pieces. We talked after the Doncaster game about finally the set pieces has improved. They'd scored off a couple of set plays against Doncaster and they've added another couple here. Um, corner leads to Wilson's goal being stabbed in. Haven't even mentioned in here that their goalkeeper went off injured as well, which was another slice of luck for Ipswich. Um, so Ipswich really had to and needed to go on and win that game after the red card and the goalkeeper injury. The, the, the goalkeeper they brought on was an inexperienced 20-year-old and, and they did eventually make that count. Wilson gets the equaliser. James Norwood, ironically, after not taking a couple of big chances, three big chances, including the penalty, then scores with the hardest of the lot with a, with a really good, powerful header from Dazelle's free kick. And uh, they had the lead at half-time. And from there, it should have been... I'm not going to say easy, but shouldn't have been as hard a work as they made it second half. Again, the, the nerves, the anxiousness crept back in. The passing was off. The game management wasn't there. And in the end, they were clinging on a little bit towards the end. But cling on they did because, once again, the back four or five were, were magnificent, defended really well and uh, job done. James Wilson's header, I've watched it back a few times. It's such a good header. Like, I think Matt, Matt Gill spoke after the game in one of the interviews that he did about trying to take chances at the near post um, and take them quickly and early. And that's exactly what James did. But it's come off his head and it's in the back of the net before you've, you've even blinked. It's a really good header. And Andre Dezel's delivery, I thought, was from set pieces, especially that's the best I've ever seen it, I think, in this game. And um, that would have been a really good sign for Paul Cook. He'll have enjoyed yeah. he'll have enjoyed watching that. And um It's long I overdue think, that, isn't it? Set piece. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot on the pods that, you know, going back to the Mick McCarthy days of Berra and Smith and Chambers regularly chipping in with goals and even Luke Garbutt last season was was contributing either scoring directly or certainly in the first half of the season. But that dried up back end of last season and it's never really got going this year. And with players like Dizel and Judge, um it should be better and hopefully it is starting to be better. And I, and I think Matt Gill has probably got to take a bit of credit for that because he says we've been working on them a lot in recent weeks. Look, there's no secret that Matt Gill's taken on a, a, a bigger role in the last few days and weeks of, of Paul Lambert's reign that was always edging towards its end. They, they've changed a few things. We've seen how they're now leaving three up for defending set pieces when they used to bring everyone back in the box. Under Lambert, quite often the tactic used to just be stick everyone on the goalkeeper, flood the six-yard box and a bit of a hopeful scenario, whereas now they seem to be working on some movement and runs across the goalkeeper and getting to the near post, as you've just said. So um, on the days like last weekend against Doncaster and against Atkinson, neither of which were vintage Ipswich Town displays, 
Um, some days you just need some set pieces to carry you through, and that's what they've managed to do these last couple mm. of matches. Can we talk about Toto briefly? Because I, th- I thought he was exceptional in this game. Um, he has his moments, doesn't he? And we, we we talk about those when they come. He, he has lapses in concentration. He has times where he's just not on it. There are games where you fear the worst. At Accrington last season, there was one where just complete switching off to give away a penalty just before half-time. He ended up getting hooked at half-time in that game, I think. But but in this game, for me, he for me, he was the best player on the pits for, for Ipswich in that game. I know there are some other decent performances, but, but in, in my opinion... That's one of the best, most consistent, dominant displays that I've seen from him, certainly in a, a long, long time, maybe going back to that that game with Leeds on the final day of the championship season. What, do, what, yeah. what did you make and who else stood out for you? It'd be right up there for me, Toto, probably just about edging it. I think you're right. When he's good, he's very good, Toto. Um the, the instructions from, from Cook on the sideline every time the ball sort of came near him was relax, relax, stay strong, be strong, but relax. So he obviously knows Toto Enciala's flaws. All the nicknames were there from Paul Cook. He seemed to know all of their various qualities from the instructions that were being given. But um, he was calm. He was composed. I never felt like there was going to be a moment where... He locked ties on the ball from 30 yards away and you're kind of looking, peeping through your fingers as he's about to lunge in in an area where he shouldn't do. There was none of that. Along, I think James Wilson's calming influence alongside him helps. We've talked about him being Mr. Ronsil, does what it says on the tin. He just seems to read the game really well, James Wilson, and just sweeps up and knows what to do and when. Um, so the two of them look a really good central defensive partnership. I thought Luke Chambers had a really good evening as well. Um, Paul Cook today has said that he thought that Luke Chambers was was one of their best players on the pitch and he was certainly getting a lot of praise from, from Paul Cook from the stands. Miles perhaps wasn't as good as he'd been in previous games, but was certainly part of a very good back four that looks like that's not going to be disrupted or broken up anytime soon at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think we could be we could be with that for the for the running from here, um, barring any catastrophe. Some other decent displays in there. I think Teddy Bishop had some moments. Troy Troy Parrott could not have worked harder. Um, he won he won the penalty, and if 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 they can get him scoring goals, Stu, I'm I'm really enthused about the kind of I'm going to call them a strike pairing. We know what we're saying here. He's a bit more withdrawn, but. Their, their Ipswich Town strike pairing. And if they can get Troy Parrott scoring goals along with James Norwood, who's who's now scored th- winners in three successive games. I I'm not a uh, I'm not a stats man particularly, but I would I'd be interested to know the last time or if there's ever been an Ipswich player that has scored the winning goal in three three successive matches. Um then I think there's that there's so much to be excited about mm. in, in terms of striking options. Yeah, I agree. His Parrot's work rate has been phenomenal. You can see he's got that that high level touch that's come from from being at, at Tottenham. He's just got that that little the, the first touch, the bit of control that that sort of the elite players have. Um, I'd chuck Alan Judge in there as well if we're giving mentions to, to players. Um, you said recently that Alan Judge would would probably be your pick of Ipswich's best players of the calendar year. I'd agree with that. I think he's a, for a player that's got a lot of stick and. 
rightfully so. I think he has performed below his own standards and expectations. I think he's really come to the party, be it playing as the the number 10, go right back to the Blackpool game where he was really impressive um, or being put back on, on the wings. He's, he's contributing, he's, he's energetic. He was, um, and he looks like he's got his technique back a little bit. We saw that with the free kick against Doncaster. He tested the goalkeeper with a swerving effort from, from outside the box Tuesday night. So um, judges performances, improved performances give me another reason for encouragement. Okay, so that's that's the game. There were, you know, you've said it, it was nervy. They saw it out. Um, they maybe could have killed it off with the last kick of the game, but for Aaron Aaron Drynan, he had he had three to his left one. I'm sure everybody's seen this one by now. Didn't didn't square it. It mattered. It mattered not nothing. We we move on. Another reason to be optimistic, and I'm sure you came out of this feeling the same way that I do. Um, listening to Paul Cook talk for half an hour today to. To quite a large media gathering over Zoom, um, he's a man. He's a man you can get behind, isn't he? He speaks with passion. He's clearly absolutely buzzing to be in this job, and it made me feel better about myself and everything <laughs> after after it. It was, um, yeah. Still... There's no, there's no, yeah. There's no denying that it's felt like a bit of a cloud has been been hanging over things. Uh, the way things deteriorated with with Paul Lambert, um, it wasn't particularly easy for for us to to cover. I know Brenna Woolley's spoken a bit about this on air on BBC Suffolk, um, and we're pretty sure that it, this wasn't just a story of Paul falling out with with the media who had turned on him. I think there's a sense that a cloud has been lifted from the players and, and about the, the place uh, at the training ground as well. Um, Paul Cook, I thought, just spoke with tremendous energy. Uh, he was honest. He was he was humorous. There was that sort of Liverpudlian humour about him, a few quips in there as well. He seemed very down to earth. He seemed to get sort of football fandom talking about going for a pint before the game and he knows what it's like for what football fans have won. And he spoke really well about all manner of subjects, really, about sort of his ambitions going forwards, how he's felt Marcus Evans to, to deal with, um, his backroom staff, loads of stuff. So we've got plenty online now. There'll be there'll be more online from that t- tomorrow. But um, I defy anyone to sort of listen to that and, and not feel even more enthused about a manager who on paper for me, was the the very top of the ceiling of what Ipswich Town could get at the moment. This is a guy who's got three, not just promotions, three league titles on his CV at three different clubs. I don't care what level that is at, that takes some doing and that's no coincidence. If you can repeat that at three different clubs, Chesterfield, League Two title, then got them in the League One playoffs within the space of three years. Portsmouth got them winning the League Two title in his second season, Wigan, wins the League One title and makes them into a highly competitive championship club all within the space of three years. Um, and this is not success a bit like Paul Lambert. We're talking about Lambert's success was was almost 10 years prior. Um, even when Mick McCarthy came in, it was a, it was a little bit of time since his, his last sort of titles and things. This is a man who has had success very recently, the Wigan success. And he left Wigan in strange circumstances, obviously with the administration. Plenty of championship clubs have shown interest in him. Um, 
COVID maybe has played its part in them offering him in shorter term contracts and things like that. And maybe he's he's had his fingers burnt in terms of working under strange ownership structures, certainly at Wigan. So Ipswich and Marcus Evans, let's give him some credit here, have done really well to get Paul Cook in. And as you say, today felt really encouraging. Mm. You mentioned Marcus Evans there. Um, this is obviously a lot of takeover discussion is going around. And like I say, the second half of this podcast is, is going to be dedicated to that and the statement that Marcus um, put out on Wednesday evening discussing um, the state of play with the takeover. Um, but this is, let, let's make no bones about it. This is a Marcus Evans appointment, isn't it? Paul Cook. Um, that much, that much is clear. Yeah, I think, that's the vibes we were getting before anyone spoke publicly. Um, and that's certainly then the vibes that have come from Marcus Evans in his statement and from Paul Cook today and, and how he's spoken that, OK, there's clearly something at play here. And we, we go on to talk about this in a minute. And, and obviously, people aren't going to come out and say everything but it does feel, I do genuinely believe that this is completely separate to anything that is going on in the background with, you know, even if the takeover, if some takeover stuff hadn't been brewing, I still think Marcus would have had that conversation with Paul Lambert and things would have come to a head the way they did recently. And Paul Cook would have been the man that he, he looked to, um, no doubt about it. So Yes, I, I do genuinely feel that this is completely separate to anything else that is uh, clearly going on in the background at the moment. Yeah. yeah, and in terms of in terms of the press conference, I think one of the things that that struck me there was some really good quotes in there. I I really he didn't seem to he didn't speak in cliches. This was all from the heart. It 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 was meant, and the expression "we want to reach for the stars" is is. He's quite a hum. He's quite a humble man, isn't he? And I know that that came across as quite a humble, humble thing for me. I, he's something you do. See, you see these manager unveilings, and they say all the right things. But there was today. There was there was no mention of Robson and Ramsey. That the UEFA Cup wasn't mentioned. Although it's pretty, it's clear that he he recognises that that's a big part of Ipswich Town. It it was all from the heart, and it was all it was all looking forward ra- rather than. Mm. Looking back, and and that was one of the, the big things that I that I took away from listening to him speak today, because that that how, that is how it's got to be. Now there's a, there's a big job here for Paul Cook to do, but he's not afraid. He's not afraid to talk about the desire for success now. Mm. It wasn't. It was, it was all, all about looking forward, but not about long term plans. Particularly, it was, it was about looking forward to 16 games, which could put Ipswich back in the championship. Yeah, I, I just so much I liked about it. I thought he spoke very respectfully about Paul Lambert and what had gone on before and the sort of managers. I'm a manager. I know how lonely it can be, how difficult these times can be. And so spoke very respectfully about that. And whatever the rights and wrongs that have led Ipswich to this point, that's done with now. I'm here and I'm looking forward didn't shy away from, you know, a lot of managers would immediately try and downplay expectations for their own benefit, but wasn't shy in saying that, yeah, let's go for top two. And um, 
as you say, reach for the stars and ultimately he sort of kind of all of that target stuff boiled down to I'm not going to make any promises about where we're going to get to and when by but what I can guarantee is I'll, I'll give it my all and my players will give it their all but underneath it all there's a there's a you talked about being humble which I agree with but there's clearly a self-belief there and there's a you know for the for reasons that I've outlined with his CV he's done it he's done it a few times now and um I think he believes he can he can be the one that gets it switched back because, as he says, he, he felt that his CV meant that he didn't really want to be going back down into League One. Um, so um, I don't think he would have come here if he thought there was a, a not a chance of, of getting mm-hmm. it switched back up and back up again pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That was a nice a nice little quote as well that that he gave. He was like. I didn't want to go back down to League One and I don't think Ipswich Town want to be in League One. So maybe we can help each other out a little mm. bit here. And it, and he comes in at a time where Ipswich now, after an excellent 10 days, are two points off the top six and and in with a real chance going into this game at Gillingham at the weekend where in his first game in charge, they could go back into the top six for the first time in, in quite a little while. So it's... It it feels like a manager, a new manager bounce has already got kind of a is spring loaded already. It's um, it's quite exciting, isn't it? It is, and doesn't it just show you how quickly things can change? Even in the sort of the pits of despair covering this this football club, and it felt like it was a kind of a never ending cycle of kind of moving backwards, I guess. But um, always in the back of your mind, you think football can change very, very quickly. And you look at the examples of Leicester and Wolves and Southampton and, dare I say it, Norwich and others that um, clubs that have been down to, to this level and, and have come back bigger and stronger o- over time. And it's just taken something to spark it. And you just hoped that Ipswich would get their spark at some point. And it now... With this manager coming in and with talk of takeover bubbling in the background, it, it, maybe it feels like this is Ipswich's time to to turn the tide. That's um, maybe this is just blind optimism in 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 all of us, but we've just needed something to cling on to, and now we've got it. And um, we've listen, we've spoken so positively about Paul Cook and how well he's handled himself. I guess all managers turn up at a new club and say all the right things. We'd probably have, if we listened back to what we said about Paul Lambert back at the very start, we probably said a lot of similar things then. And, you know, he had people eating out the palm of his hand for the first few months because he, he got it and he understood it and all of that. And um, ultimately it comes down to results, doesn't it? And uh, they, they didn't happen under under Paul Lambert, but just feels a little bit different with Paul Cook. We might be wrong. I hope we're not wrong. But um, yeah, for for the next little while at least, uh, hopefully we we can in, enjoy the ride again. So this all all begins at Priestfield on Saturday, one o'clock, one o'clock kickoff for that one. Um, slightly earlier. What what are you expecting from from this game in in terms of selections, Stu? I don't know about you but I don't get the impression that he's looking to change an awful lot very quickly they're already playing the style of football that he wants them to play they're playing the system that he wants them to play um clearly there's going to be some tweaks in there we we heard with especially with the fullbacks about both kind of eating up space and conceding space when needed I think there's some subtle tweaks in there um but in terms of personnel 
there are a couple of positions maybe where it's where, there, where there's an opening for somebody to get into this side, possibly on the wing, maybe in one of the holding midfield too. But but other than that, I can't I can't see an awful lot changing. No, I agree. Four four two three one's been his formation of of choice in terms of subtle tweaks. I think, as you say, clearly he likes attack minded fullbacks who who get high. He talked constantly on Tuesday night about making the pitch big, make it massive, telling Judge to get higher and wider and, and likes a bit of a higher press. Um, but how much he'll try and change that straight away. I think you'd be mad to change too much straight away after, off the back of three wins. Um, personnel, I would say Keenan Bennett's is in the is in the red zone to go back to one of our early season analogies. Um I'd say he's been in the amber zone for a little while. Might have just tipped into that. He's um he's a strange player to watch Keenan Bennett's because he's exciting, he's direct, he's got all the tricks. The way he can kind of there's very few players that can roll the ball underneath their their studs in such a sort of a fluid motion that kind of bamboozles players. But the end product is just so often frustrating, isn't it? I mean, he, it was him who played the past into Norwood for one of the good chances. He can do lots of good things, but then every other time it's a it's a wildly overhit cross, not just a little bit overhit. It's, it flies across everybody, or or he'll just turn back and and run into traffic. And so I just wonder whether he might be one. Um, Guion Edwards is obviously kind of working his way back up to full fitness, although he didn't do great when he came off the bench either. But that that would that would maybe be one change. Um, and then we're back to the debate about whether Teddy Bishop can keep churning out performances um, fitness-wise. There's a question mark there. Like maybe Flynn Downs I could see coming in, um, possibly for, for Bishop, just to add a little bit more freshness and tenacity into, into the side. I mean, Gillingham yeah, are an, another sort of physical outfit, aren't they? They certainly are. We've seen some wars of attrition between Paul Lambert and uh, Steve Evans' teams over the last two years, haven't we? Um, two players that would have been hoping to be back in the picture, um, John Nolan, Caden Jackson, obviously much discussed bombing out to the, the under-23s. They were back training with the first team on Monday, but didn't travel to Accrington and... Sadly for for John Nolan, um, it's looking like season over for him with an MCL injury that's going to keep him out until the until the middle of May, I think. So looks like season season over for him, and that was suffered probably. It seemed he was in training this week, and there's every chance that was in his first session back. Um, Caden Jackson, I'll imagine, will be back. Could be back on the bench this weekend, a different striking option. But for John Nolan, that's. Um, that's really tough, isn't it? Because there's clearly there's going to have been a desire to both to both impress Matt Gill earlier in the week and impress the new manager now. Yeah, that that I mean, what are we now? We're at the start of March. The end of the season is at the start of, of May. So I think that's probably John done for the season. He's, he's contracted beyond this season, but it's going to make things tricky for Paul when he's trying to work out who he wants to keep because he won't have seen a lot of John. But um, Central midfield is not an area they're short of players. Um, Caden Jackson has to has to come back into it. He's talked about there being a clean slate for everybody. He doesn't really know or care what's gone on with people before. It's a clean slate under Paul Cook. And you mentioned the Drynan 
counter-attack error at the end of the game, um, Caden Jackson would be a far better option, um, certainly in the squad on the bench for me. Um, If he wants players that can press high and um, and do that, then Caden Jackson certainly ticks ticks those boxes. From what I've what I've heard, that both Nolan and Jackson have, have looked pretty sharp in the in the bomb squad in the twenty threes and have impressed uh, the likes of Kieran Dyer and, and Terry Butcher with their attitude and and their ability in, in training. So I'm sure that um, Paul Cook will get some positive feedback from from people like them. Unfortunately, John's not going to be in a position to to work his way back in, but I'm I'm pretty sure Caden, as you say, will uh, will be back into the squad, mm-hmm. and that will help keep Mister Norwood wrapped in in a little bit of cotton wool going ahead. Because um, the one slight fear is we're we're an injury away to James Norwood from from changing the dynamic of this this positivity. Yeah, let's not end on a downer. Um, no, so. If you predict anything other than an Ipswich victory in this game, um, <laughs> I'm going to have some strong words with you both on and off camera. So I'm going to predict a 2-0 win. Uh, so don't don't let everybody down. Come on, Mr. Clean Shirt. What have you got? <laughs> um, I've got to go with a win, haven't I, after all yes. of that? Let's, let's, let's go with it. Um We've got the centre halves in the team now to to be able to deal with um, with the physical threat of uh, Oliver up front, um, and I think there's there's a goal threat enough now in the Ipswich team to uh, to to get the job done. I think um, I will go for uh, a cheeky little one nil win. Oh, cheeky, cheeky! I like. I don't it. know why. I don't know why that's cheeky. That is cheeky. It could, it could be the cheekiest of one nil wins. It could be. A back heel on the line in the 90th minute. It could be a cheeky little own goal. There's so many reasons why 1-0 can be cheeky. There's nothing cheeky about a 3 or a 4-0 win, is there? That's it. That's emphatic. I'm with you. Let's let's have a little cheeky win. So have you got any other business before we throw it over to ourselves in the past uh, for a chat about Marcus Evans' statement? So have you got any other business for this this half of the podcast? No other business. Part two, baby. Okay, here for part two, Andy and Stu, we're going to talk about the Marcus Evans statement, which came out on Wednesday evening, losing track of the days, Stu. Uh, a very long statement from the owner, started off talking about Paul Cook and why he's been appointed, and then some discussion of Paul Lambert and the reasons behind his departure. But I think the thing we're all interested in here was his references to ongoing talk of a takeover, notably by an American consortium, which has been widely reported and discussed in recent days. We'll quickly run through what the statement said in some, some bullet points. Starts off saying never has never looked to sell in his 13 years at the club, and that is still the case. Approaches are received regularly, including one two weeks ago, which he stresses is not this American one. Uh, wants to look after the PLC side of the club that own a little over 10%, 12 and a half, I think it is, still. Uh, says that some takeovers are risky fixes and that those those can walk away and that's the reason why he wouldn't entertain some offers. He supports foreign ownership, but long-term investment is important there and a bit risky. Stress that we shouldn't believe everything that you read in the media. Uh, again, stressed nothing brand new in the last 12 months, but stated that old parties do come back from time to time to bring fresh interest back to the table. And then again, as we've heard so many times, if a better offer that is for the long-term benefit of the club does come along, he'll look to sell. So, Stu, lots of words in there. 
lots that we can read into where should we where should we where should we start um i guess we start with why release a statement at all full stop um plenty of ambiguity in there you've just said about how we read into this i think it's pretty open to interpretation um I don't really know what to make of it, if I'm completely honest, Andy. Uh, I don't I, I don't know why they put Leo Neil up for interview on Monday. They they released the state Marcus had released a statement to accompany the news that, that Paul Lambert had gone on Sunday night. Um they then put Lee up on Monday who then says things like, we'll take as long as we need to appoint the new manager, when everybody knew that the Wolves were fully in motion regarding Paul Cook. And he's announced less than 24 hours after that interview. So now, whatever comes out of the club in an official capacity will be met with um, distrust or disbelief. Um, you spoke to Lee on Monday. He was given ample opportunities to clarify what the club's state uh, what the club's stance was on this this alleged takeover offer. I mean, you're best to, to talk about that that side of things, Andy. It's... Yeah, he was. He was he would, I went back to him just to clarify something that he said, which was that there is no offer on the table. When it got round to my turn on the wheel of questions, that, that was my first question, Lee. Can you just, can you clarify for us here? Is there an offer on the table? No, was the answer. Very firm. No. So, that was that was from from Lee. Um, Stu, I've got four readings of this written down on a piece of paper in front of me. But if I want to, I can decide that this is how I want to read the Marcus Evans statement. So the first one is that he is ruling out selling the club completely. The second one is that between the lines, he's telling buyers to sort to sort themselves out, and that the, maybe the funding sources aren't particularly acceptable and he's got some misgivings there the third one is a reminder that he's trying to put a reminder to supporters out there that he has been a responsible owner in who he is going to sell the club to and then the fourth one is that he's trying to encourage a bidding scenario between interested parties because Mm -hmm. it's become clear that there are plenty of interested parties at certain times they're all quite conflicting ways of reading this. But if I want to, I can read through the statement and come away thinking every one of those, if, if, that's, yeah. if that's the mood that I'm in. Let me take point number one. If, it, if it's this club is not for sale at all, full stop, bottom line, I think that that statement is, and the statement from both Lee and Marcus, is far more uh, bullish. Not for sale, absolute nonsense that all of these reports end of. It's not that. So I think for me, we can scratch off that kind of nothing happening here. It's pretty clear, as we've as we've always said, we're not completely at the heart of, of this situation. It's very difficult as, as as humble football reporters now to suddenly delve into the uh, the world of, of business. And um, that's not our day-to-day job. Normally, we are doing everything we can to, to get to the heart of it. Trust me, we've read every single word on all of the characters involved in all of this we're trying to get to people we're not there at the moment but clearly for the athletic for the guardian for so many uh, 
media outlets of that nature to have gone as strong as they have, there is no smoke without fire. Something is afoot. So I think we can rule out number one. Yep. Um, I think then it's probably a combination of the other three points that you've made there. Um, I would also throw into the mix that maybe things have changed, possibly. Again, we're just talking out loud as a as a possible theory with the results recently. The, the price of the club will be heavily dependent on what division they're in next year. And all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, we're starting to almost think, well, it's looking like another year in League One. Here we go again. And they've won a couple of games and um, they're right back in the mix now. And maybe Marcus has just... Maybe he was of a mind that it's time to go and then just suddenly it's just tugged back at his emotional heartstrings. I mean, whatever you say about the guy and the bad decisions he's made, and he said this in his statement, he has put too much time, emotional energy, money into this football club. To It, it will take a big thing for him to, for him to walk away from this and maybe just all of a sudden he thinks maybe it could just turn and, you know, he's seen that the excitement around Paul Cook and... Uh, all the rest of it. I don't know. Uh, or, or maybe this is just all a big bit of uh, mind games being played now that he, he's maybe not help, happy that the, the US guys have not been shy in coming forwards about this disinterest. We've seen that sort of Brett Johnson's gone on another little liking spree of things around the club. And um, clearly this is, it feels like to me that this has leaked from the buying end of things. And this is Marcus just trying to... Um, Maybe that was them trying to put a bit of pressure on uh, getting the deal done. And this is Marcus's way of kind of hitting back. And it's all become a bit of a public negotiation tactic here now. I think that I think that's absolutely the case, because like we said at the very beginning of this. you It's either a, it's either a, a huge denial. It's all nonsense or don't say anything. That would be that would be how I would handle it. It, it is strange that I don't know how long the statement was but maybe 1500 words like a thousand words down it's then kind of a and then we move on to some chat of a takeover it is kind of like quite quite whimsical the way that it the way that it gets there it's um I I think it's game playing I think um and I don't know what game they're playing and I don't know if he's playing the same game as the Americans are playing but I I there's got to be some game playing here hasn't there and, and I, but I also think the the championship is a massive point that you've just made there Marcus isn't going to want say he sells the club March 2021 and all of a sudden there's a trophy being lifted at Wembley in May of 2021 he's not involved in that and it's a championship football club again mm. he would be losing out financially and emotionally in that yeah. in that regard wouldn't he yeah and clearly there's something afoot here. Phil at TWTD has done a story about the, the land registry request from Game Changer uh, 20, which is the, the company that's kind of been set up by, by these guys in in this country recently. So how advanced that, I don't, I don't know the, whether that comes at the start or the end of a, of a process. That's what we're trying to sort of piece together at what stage things are at. Um, whether it's early talks, whether talks have got really deep and have now maybe hit a bit of an impasse, and this is where, you know, okay, we've we've hit a dead dead end with this now. Uh, the the athletic article talks about this having been negotiations having gone on for months. Maybe this is at the stage where they've just hit a complete deadlock, and the the US side are trying to flush it into the open to to force things through. 
Marcus is now pushing back on that a little bit. What we can say is from sort of our connections with the club, we I've interviewed Marcus a couple of times on the record. I've met him a few times off the record over the years. Um, what he is said, don't do not disbelieve the the sort of the vibe from him that he will do what is right for the club and that he is emotionally invested in it. As I keep saying, I'm not defending Marcus Evans. You know, he has overseen a long drawn out decline. There's been some bad decisions along the way, but the guy has pumped in a lot of money and continues to do so uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. And I do honestly think that there is an emotional connection there. You know, we, He's owned the football club for more than a decade. It would be impossible not to to be sort of wrapped up in it emotionally. And everyone I speak to, and my experiences of meeting him too, is that there is a lot of pride there and perhaps a bit of stubbornness as well. Every time I've spoken to people close to him, why hasn't he sold? He's losing money hand over fist, year over year, and they're going backwards. The Premier League seems a pipe dream, a million miles away now. Why isn't he just licking his wounds and walking away and people will say that those level of businessmen there's a pride there's a stubbornness there they don't like to accept failure and they'll they'll always deep down believe in themselves that they can get it to turn and that then it, it will turn at some point and that is still the vibe that we're getting speaking to those closest to Marcus Evans um when we've spoken to him there's been references to how Bournemouth and Leicester and Norwich and Southampton and others have all gone down into League One and come back bigger and stronger through it. And I still think that he believes that he can be the man to to turn that all around. Obviously, the COVID has muddied the waters a little bit. The salary cap coming in and then being scrapped has probably changed his thought processes as time's gone on. But um, I just don't get the feeling he's ready to just give this football club away to the first person that comes along. And that, mm. that that's clear in the statement. Mm. The th- in, ter- in terms of an emotional attachment to the club, it, it, he's clearly not that there are owners and we were within a few yards of, of one at Accrington the other night in Andy Holt, who is living and breathing it on the touchline, shouting and bellowing. There are different kinds of emotional attachments, aren't there? With, with Marcus, it's maybe a family thing as well. Like his children um, have, have an attachment to the club and I've met him. I've met him once, not as many times as you have. And, that is that is clear there. There's, there's a clear kind of relationship with with the football club. He's not he's not just a cold a cold businessman who's just running a business. There is there is something there. And the one thing with Marcus that has given me kind of heart over the years is the kind of responsible owner vibe, which you get not just from people around the football club, but if you, you listen to other owners talk, like Darren, Darren McAntony on on his podcast, even Andy Andy Holt, lots of owners um, talk about Marcus being one of the one of the good owners. But but that being a good owner, that that that's very different to being a successful owner, isn't it? And and that that's gonna be the big the big knock on Marcus. But for me, the for me, a big thing that I take from this statement is trying to serve a reminder of of how responsible he has been and how he's not just gonna um sell it to somebody who's gonna chuck twenty million at it immediately and then walk away. And and, and that and that is that is the good side of Marcus Evans. There's lot there's lots of things we've picked to bits in many, many occasions. But um yeah. 
Well, I mean that that's been his that's been his stance for a long time now, isn't it? I think the interview I did with him was off the back of the playoff season, so that was twenty fifteen. So you're going back five, six years, and he's always been very consistent with his view that if somebody can come along that can provide more money than me over a sustainable period of time, then it would be wrong of me to hold the club back. And he's he's very aware that he came in and was a a big player financially uh, 13 years ago and increasingly is getting dwarfed in terms of what others can bring to the pay. I think the phrase he used in this his recent statement was um, if others came along that had a higher financial pain threshold than I, than I do, um, then, then he would be silly not to look at that. But he is also right to say that it can go very quickly, very wrong, very quickly. And we've seen that, I guess the prime examples are, are Bolton and Wigan that people come along and probably can, make all the right noises about chucking money at it, but become very bored very quickly and, and leave the club in, in, a, in a bad state. So as much as it's felt like a bit of a slow bleed, death by a thousand cuts under Marcus Evans, um, he has still, although the money that he puts in on an annual basis has lessened over time, it's almost a tale of two halves, you know, in terms of I think it was sort of five, six million pound a year for the first half. For the last five, six years, that's probably dropped to about three three million pounds a year. But that's still a hefty, hefty chunk of money that is propping the, the club up as we go along. So um may, maybe this is like you say, just a reminder to everybody that he will he will do the right thing at the right time. And um that's that's not to be um that shouldn't be sort of sniffed at that he, he could easily just say, actually, I'm losing a ton of money here, just uh, there you go, sold for a pound, and uh, it's your problem now. So there's people shouldn't underestimate that, mm. that he is trying to do the right thing. I, genuinely, I do think that to be the case. Yeah, there's a, another interesting paragraph in there that related to related to foreign ownership, which I'll just read out now. It says, I'm fully supportive of foreign ownership of English football clubs and many have been great additions to the UK club landscape. However, football is not a normal business with much beyond financial pressures on owners. And one needs to take that into account when judging the long-term commitment of possible investors with no personal roots in the community. That that's the paragraph in this in this that makes me feel like he's talking to an American consortium. Um, not not in terms like actually talking out loud in this statement. That's addressing them almost. That makes me feel that he might have some question marks over their long-term motives, where the money's coming from. We've we've heard from elsewhere. Um, I think it was from, I think this is from Phil at TWTD, I think about the money potentially coming from a pension, a pension fund, which isn't necessarily the most stable form of, of investment I'm led to believe. So I don't, I don't know what you made of that part of it, but that was a, that was an interesting, an interesting part of it to me. Mm, there's, a, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors at, at play here, probably from, from both sides of this and it may well be that one day we wake up and it's it's just announced I listened to Matt Slater who was the the journalist who broke the story in the athletic and he was saying that normally this the way that the Sunderland and the, the Ipswich deals are kind of being played out publicly is is not the norm normally these things just are quietly sorted out between businessmen that are, you know have signed non-disclosure agreements and it's all kept very quiet and suddenly it just is announced one day I think the Marcus Evans taking over it which just kind of happened pretty quickly it's certainly in a, in a public sense so um 
it's very interesting how this is kind of being played out a little a little publicly even before the athletic went with their reports the chinese whispers were strong i mean for for weeks even before it all started to filter out onto social media and forums and things we, you know we everyone we spoke to was you heard that you heard the heard about these us investors and stuff and we were just never able to nail it down there's one thing hearing rumors there's another thing us kind of sticking it out there as a, as a story we need a little bit more on it than that and it still feels look there's something there's something happening here but uh, there's just a tiny one percent of me that wonders whether some of this has been has grown legs over time as it's gone and the, um i i don't know we'll um we'll, we'll see how it so how it pans out over the ne- next few weeks and uh hopefully we can we can uh, bring people some more inf- mm-hmm. information each time we each time we speak on these mm-hmm. i think f- for for this occasion it's probably probably where we're going to leave the ownership chat now until we are, we are able to do that but we're not going to leave the marcus evans statement just yet because i think Stu, um the the paul cooks stuff at the start of it's pretty self explanatory but i think it's probably worth talking about what Marcus has said about Paul Lambert's departure in here, which said an awful lot whilst he was trying really hard in his words to, to give, hmm. to, to not go, to not go into detail. Uh, but, but, but into detail, he went the phrase, we don't need to fiddle while Rome burns. Um, the squad is as good as anyone in the league. The training ground is, is as good, if not better than anyone in the championship, uh, a massive loss of income. Um, it was all kind of. This was in relation to the conversations between Paul and himself, which which we believe were were pretty heated. And this is this is Marcus saying to Paul, like, "Come on, let, let's concentrate on promotion of getting out of League One, isn't it? Rather than yeah. rather than trying to fiddle while Rome burns." Yeah, um, I've had a few people come back to me because I kind of sold that part of the, the statement in our in our web story as Marcus Evans going into more detail about the disagreements. And people said, well, he's actually said in there, I won't go into detail on that. Yeah, he has said that, but I won't go into <laughs> I won't go into detail about the disagreements. But um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out how these conversations went. We, we'd kind of told people how those conversations went and th- this backs it up, that it was the Northampton, the comments after the Northampton game from Paul where he just suddenly went off on one about how everything at the club was was wrong and the structure was all wrong. Um, then goes on talk sport to reiterate all of that to a national audience the following day. Then come the press conference on the Friday, refused to elaborate in any way, shape or form what he meant by those comments. So then the two of them get together the following week um, and those convert, you know, it's essentially, I think, Marcus saying, what did you mean by those comments? And Paul's people we've spoke to within the club have maybe given us the sense that the five-year contract gave Paul the feeling that he had carte blanche to kind of build build the football club over the long term and and maybe took his eye off the the task of a manager of actually just winning football matches and we we've spoken about how he kind of got Marcus to spend 100 150 grand on a perimeter fence at the training ground which ironically is now best known for being slightly charred by the blue action boys during their protests and you know installing new gyms and spending like I think he wanted a structure that somehow resembled Borussia Dortmund and Celtic, and I know what structures are, and just didn't really get that 
This is Ipswich Town in League One in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, a lot of that stuff needs to get put on hold here, Paul, as much as some of it is valid. And, and that is essentially the pushback that came from Marcus Evans. It, it, and that I think they pretty it became pretty clear that they're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what's re- needed right here and right now. And then that kind of uh, sped up the talks over a payoff. And here we are sat here today looking ahead to to Paul Cook's first game in charge at Gillingham on Saturday. Football doesn't stand still, does it? It's a, this is a rapid a rapid world and uh, I'm not going to use the phrase new era, but, um, but here we go. Um, we're going to leave that there. I hope, you've, I hope you've enjoyed listening today. Um, thank you for your time. Please leave us the five-star reviews, subscribe, iTunes, all of that. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll see you at the start of next week to hopefully talk about the first three points of the uh, of the Paul Cook era. From true crime to football, Brexit to football. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.